Welcome to everyone. It's so good to see each and every one of you. I get up every Sunday morning excited about coming to church and being with you all. Um, I hope, I, well, I can't say I hope. I trust that you have the same feeling, uh, that we, we have a special community here. We have a special church. And to be able to come together and, and enjoy each other's company uh, and to worship the Lord together, it's truly a blessing and so, so grateful uh, for the opportunity for us all to be here. If you're visiting with us and you haven't yet done so, if you would, uh, just take a few moments and fill out a digital connection card. Um, in the bulletin, there's a QR code. If you'll scan that with your uh, mobile device with the photo app, scroll down to the bottom and you'll find um, that there's a, a digital conne- a connection card that you can fill out uh, on the Internet page that pops up on your mobile device. Uh, the QR code's in the bulletin. It's also on the screen if you're watching with us at home. Uh, would love for you guys to, to fill that out. We appreciate that very much. Uh, this, this month, uh, we have five Sundays. Praise the Lord. So we get to enjoy on the fifth Sunday our normal fifth Sunday schedule. We'll have the Lord's Supper, uh, an actual Lord's Supper service. Uh, we'll devote that morning worship to the Lord's Supper. Uh, then we'll have lunch together in the fellowship hall, and then we'll enjoy a movie night together in the fellowship hall. But uh, that'll start at 5.30 as opposed to our normal 6.30. Uh, so I look forward to that and hope you do too. Um, y'all let me forget something that I normally say around Fifth Sunday. Banana pudding. Banana pudding. <laughs> <laughs> it's also uh, another opportunity for us as a church uh, to be involved with uh, the Arctic Barnabas Blessing Boxes. Uh, I don't know if you've seen out in the foyer, there is um, a section of our bulletin board that's devoted to missions. Uh, so if you'll look on the left side of it, you'll see a picture uh, of uh, Shelby Smith, and I think the guy's name is Nick Buckner and his family, and they are recipients of the blessing boxes that we get. They wanted to make sure that we had a face to put with uh, the names uh, that uh, we were or just to know who we're blessing with these blessing boxes. So we are going to send another shipment uh, June 15th. There's a list of suggested donations and a collection box in the foyer. And I do encourage you to, to um, look at those pictures in the foyer, just give you an idea of who we're blessing how, and, and pray for them specifically. Uh, one final thing, uh, my family will be out of pocket tonight. Uh, Sydney's got a... a a senior event at another church in town. And uh, so James is going to be leading our Bible study tonight. So I hope you and I, every time James has the, the, the privilege of leading, I hear such good things from the, the church family about how well he does. So, so I hope you're able to come tonight. Are there any other announcements we need to make? Jared. Okay, Jared's going to come to the pulpit mic. Real quick, I just want to make a plug for youth camp. Um, We're going to camp June 27th through July 1st. Uh, We're going to a camp called Camp Zephyr, which is located on Lake Corpus Christi. Uh, If you have any youth, know of any youth, um, get with me that haven't already signed up. There is a link that I can give to you um, where they can register online. Um, did you want to say anything about a meeting with the sound team, or you just talked to them individually? I did, but I'll say it again, because I haven't got to talk to Joel yet. So, Joel, this announcement's for you. If we could just meet for like three minutes after church today, um, I'll promise I won't keep you long. Yeah, the, if I do, I'll feed you. Those, those of you that work sound booth. There you go. Thank All you. Right. Any other announcements? Okay. Well, if you will, uh, if you're able to, please stand We'll have our call to worship at this time. Um, on the screen, you'll see First uh, Chronicles 29. Uh, I believe it's 11 and 12. I'll read what's not underlined, and you will all come in together on the next slide uh, with what is underlined. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, 
and you are exalted as head above all. Let's worship together. said earlier this morning to uh, Denise and Shannon, we're kind of having a Quaker Sunday, but he said that's not really Quaker. So, but all the songs we're doing today are older songs, um, a lot older songs, and, uh, but the theology in them is rich. So um, let's sing these together.
there any anyone out there who has never cried? If so, will you please stand up? <laughs> I just, go ahead. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> His stage coming. Um, <laughs> um, when I think about our tears, it makes me think what the Bible says about our tears, and I wanted to share that with you this morning. Um, a thousand years before Jesus came to save us, King David sat on the throne and ruled over all the Israelites, and this is what he said, God, you have taken account of my wanderings. In other words, you have seen everywhere I have been. You've seen where I've walked. You've seen what I've been through. And you put my tears in your bottle. Can you believe that? King David said, you put my tears in your bottle. And I like to think about having a bottle in heaven. Yes. <laughs> Every time she watches Old Yeller, boy, I remember those tears. Well, I, I don't think that my tears could fit in this bottle. Let me see if I have a bottle up here that's more my size. Here we go. I don't. This is your size. All right, you're my sister. Okay, this is my size bottle, and I'm not even sure that this bottle could hold all the tears that I've cried in my life. But you know what? Sometimes the Bible tells us something really specific. Like it says, this happened on the 15th day of this month in this year. And sometimes the Bible uses language that helps us understand what God is trying to tell us. And I think that's the case here. I don't think we're going to get to heaven and find a bottle filled with our tears. But the words that God gave us, that gave, he gave David to instruct us, tell us that he loves us so much that he has even recorded in his book all of our tears. Can you imagine a God that created you and loves you so much that he, he's aware every time you fall down and scrape your knee and you cry, he is aware and he cares about your pain. Um, let me see what else I have marked here. Uh, Jesus said in the book of Luke, You know what a sparrow is? A little bitty bird? Jesus said that you could buy, back then, you could buy five sparrows for, for a penny. They weren't worth much, right? And yet God cared. He was mindful of. He noticed every single sparrow. And he even knows exactly. And then at the very end of the Bible, when uh, John, now this is like 60 years after Jesus went to heaven, uh, John saw a vision of the new heaven and the new earth, and he said that there will be no more tears. God is going to wipe away every tear. He's going to come and live with us on a new earth, and there will be no more crying. So there's a lot that the Bible has to say about tears, but what it teaches us is that he knows that we have pain. He knows that we cry. He loves us. He records all of it in his book, 
and he's going to come one day and live here with us and wipe away all of our tears. And I think that's a wonderful thing to keep in mind when we are shedding tears of our own because in this life, we will have trouble. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you that you are a loving God, that you, um, you know our pain, you know our struggles, that whether you actually keep our tears in a bottle or whether this is the kind of language that helps us understand how much you love us, Father, we just praise you for that love and care, and we look forward to the day that we can live with you on a new earth. You will be here with us, and you will wipe away every single tear. We praise you, our Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to take your copy of God's Word. It'll also be on the screen, Psalm 117, a very long passage, very, very long passage, so bear with us. For tears in heaven, um, the new heaven and new earth, it's a good thing because I think we'd all be crying tears of joy for all eternity. Um, so I, I always think of that, that that's another reason there would be, we'd be crying all the time from pure happiness. As James said, I'm reading from Psalm 117, verse 1 and 2. Praise the Lord, all nations. Laud him, all peoples. For his loving kindness is great towards us. And the truth of the Lord is everlasting. Praise the Lord. God, we come to you confessing that we are in need of you this morning. An immortal, invisible God who is mighty in all your ways. And God, we don't deserve even a glance our direction, but you sent your only son to be the foundation that we needed. That would help us remain in hope. That would save us from the sins that are so rampant in our lives. And as we worship you this morning, God, we understand that you receive sinful men. And we're thankful for that because we are sinful men. And so, God, as we go from here, we will, we will share that good news because of our great and awesome God. Let's sing this song together. Christ, receive this sinful man.
great message. Christ received sinful men. We wouldn't be standing here if he didn't. be glorifying to you in all things. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. And God's people say. Amen. Amen. If you would please take your copy of God's word. Turn to the book of 1 Timothy. We are slowly working our way through the book of 1 Timothy. I anticipate uh, when we're done we will continue on into 2 Timothy. Uh, maybe taking Titus next, but I do anticipate uh, going through these three books. Um, but as you would, uh, you would hope, that if the Lord changes the direction, then we will change also. would ask that you turn to 1 Timothy, um, well, that says 1, 1 through 11. I didn't update that. Uh, but we still are in chapter 1, and we will be in verse 12. We'll finish out the chapter uh, first. 1 Timothy chapter 1 today. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you'll find a hard black, back, black one somewhere around you. Take that, turn to the back, find page 162, and you'll be on page on 1 Timothy 1. If you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. This is 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 20, and this is God's Word. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord. Who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy, because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. 
Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we know because your word says that your word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Being so, it pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of even joints and marrow, and it is alone, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So God, our prayer today is lay bare our hearts. Pierce us with your living and active word, and make this book live to us, that we may live for you. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. I want you to imagine... If you come in on a Sunday morning, maybe you walk in just a couple minutes late, which is okay, you're here. But normally when you come, I'm, I'm not up here. If you walk in at 11.02, normally we're doing, well, I might be up here doing announcements or whatnot. If you come in at 11.10, we're probably going to be into the music. Just come. That's the, that's the whole point. But what if that wasn't the case? You walk in and things are a little bit different because we're not singing. Our, our Bibles are open and I'm already in the pulpit. Now you might think, well, sometimes Brother Shannon wants to, to change the order of worship for a particular reason. But it's different. And, and you might think, come walking in and, 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 and I have this particular tone in my voice. And you might think, well, there must be more to this than him just changing the order of worship. I want you to think about that in terms of this letter that Paul writes to, first, to Timothy. It doesn't begin with what you find in other of Paul's letters, a customary introduction. A lot of times there's thanksgiving there. Paul doesn't begin that letter this way. Paul gets straight down to business. Put it a different way, he skipped the announcements, he skipped the call to worship, he skipped the congregational singing and the children's sermon, and he got right down to business. We learned last week that the church has a received faith from Christ through the apostles. And there are certain men in this church in Ephesus that instead of receiving the faith, they are conceiving the Christian faith, the doctrine of it in their own way, these elders. Paul says in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 3, that they are, they're giving rise to strange doctrines. They're teaching it. Verse 4, those doctrines are myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation. So to summarize last week, his Paul's command or charge to Timothy, we could just simply be reminded of the title of the sermon, which was Contending for the Faith. Contend for the doctrine of the church. Knowing that bad doctrine, when it is applied, will not lead to a sincere faith. See, we have an apostolic faith. It says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle. We have an apostolic faith. It's the doctrine taught by the apostles, and it's preserved for us in the 27 New Testament books. We have an authoritative faith. The apostolic doctrine that has been handed down to us has divine authority to confront sin, to define sin, to offer the gospel to sinners, to call believers to holiness, to govern the church, and to set its goals. We have a faith that God has designed that in its very practice it is aimed at preservation. It aims to preserve its doctrine. It aims to preserve the gospel, the practice of Christians 
the health of the church, and the calling of the church. And God does this through His appointed servants, so long as they are acting in accordance with the received apostolic and authoritative doctrine of the church. And so now we see the problem. Here's some elders in the church not treating the Scripture or or what Paul has delivered to them as apostolic, authoritative doctrine, which they're not to tweak and make their own. They're aimed to preserve, they should aim to preserve what has been handed down to them. That's the situation. So Paul writes this letter to Timothy, his longtime ministry companion. And so if Paul writes the letter and begins in this way, dispensing with the, the opening uh, introductions to the book, Timothy, he must know, because he knows Paul, that something is serious. And I can imagine Timothy, sensing the serious tone, began to brace himself for what was to come. I kind of picture in my mind something like this. It, it, a couple of shows that are routinely on at my house are Duck Dynasty and Andy Griffith. And I picture Timothy maybe being somewhat like Barney. You know, sometimes Barney would get a little worked up and say, Andy, do you want me to get my bullet? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Andy, you want me to get my bullet? And Andy was always good to say to Barney, no, now Barney. And he would rein in Barney's impulsive reactions. Now, I'm not sitting up here saying that Timothy was going to go off half-cocked on these elders, loaded for bear, after hearing the first 11 verses of this letter. I don't think Paul thought that either. However, being pastorally wise, Paul realizes that everyone who fights the good fight in contending for the faith needs guardrails in how to contend for the faith in order to keep things on track. So I want to share with us from verses 12 through 20 of 1 Timothy chapter 1 some guardrails, some necessary guardrails for contending, not just for the faith, but contending well for the faith. First is this, contend with grace and gospel hope. Contend with grace and gospel hope. In verses 12 through 17, Paul gets personal for a moment. He shares his own testimony. Now, I thought about this this week, and I wondered, why would Paul feel the need to do this? Here's why I think that's a good question to ask, because Timothy is a longtime ministry partner of Paul. And so, can't we assume that Timothy probably already knew Paul's testimony and probably could share it on Paul's behalf. So that raises the question, why do this here? Why would Paul begin the letter in this way and then turn uh, his attention to his own testimony? Here's why I think Timothy does that. Uh, Paul does that for Timothy. I think he's aiming to help Timothy to see the connection between Paul's own sinful past and the sinful present of these Ephesian elders. I think in verse 13 when he says, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. I think, he's not coming out and saying it, but I think he's implying it. Timothy, don't forget who I was. I was this guy. I was this blasphemer, this violent persecutor, this violent aggressor. I was that guy. These guys, these elders, perhaps they're a lot like me, off base, and what they thought was real doctrine. Timothy, don't forget that I was that guy. But verse 14, verse 13 says, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. I think Timothy is supposed to pick up here. That Paul saying the grace that was more than abundant for me is more than abundant for these elders that are off the path. Because Paul himself would say, I'm a living example of God's grace and gospel hope. I was formerly, I'm not that person now, formerly a blasphemer, 
a persecutor and a violent aggressor. I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and I am the foremost of all sinners. Yet Paul says, I was shown mercy. The grace of the Lord was more than abundant for me. In fact, I know Christ lives in me because the the faith and love that are found in Jesus Christ, they took root in me and they produced fruit. Paul himself would say, and he does, he says, I found mercy. He says, I'm a demonstration of Christ's perfect patience. Verse 16. So that others might see how God showed grace and mercy to me. So that other people might see, well, if if God did that for Paul through His grace, well, He can do that for me. So Paul's an example of God's perfect patience, Christ's perfect patience, so others can look and see, I can believe in Jesus and He can change my life. Paul doesn't stop there. He says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful putting me into service. Now, now we need to understand what Paul means by considered there. In James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Here's what James means, and I believe here's what Paul means when he uses this word consider. He says, and I'm going to start with James first. When you encounter various trials, if you're an accountant or if you've ever taken accounting or if you have to balance a ledger somehow, you know that you have assets and you have liabilities. And James is saying when you encounter trials of various kinds, the first thing you're going to want to do is to put those things in the liabilities column. And James is saying, don't you do that. You take trials and you put them in the assets column. Because God is going to use those to mature you. So that's what Paul means when he says, Christ considered me faithful. He's saying, Christ looked at me and he didn't see a faithful person. He saw a person with liabilities. But yet Christ knew what he was about to do in me. And instead of leaving me in the liabilities column... He moved me over into the assets column. And He put me into His service. Not because of anything I did. Because I was running the wrong road. How do we know this? Because Christ stopped Paul on the road to Damascus where He was going to violently persecute Christians. And Christ moved him from the liabilities column to the assets column. And I believe that's why Paul in verse 15 says... It's a trustworthy statement, worthy of full acceptance, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And it even continues into verse 17, where now Paul, having remembered this, can't help himself. And he overflows into praise and says, Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul shares a wonderful testimony, but he does so with a purpose. I believe he's saying this to Timothy. Timothy, don't think that just because I sent you to Ephesus with a hammer, that everything you see there will be a nail. Remember what God did for me. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. See, Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows what Phariseeism looks like. And so here, I believe, he's guiding Timothy like this. Kill the cancer without killing the patient. Contend for the faith with grace and gospel hope. Secondly... Contend with groundedness. Contend with groundedness. If you're a history buff at all, perhaps you like uh, Civil War history. When I was a junior high teacher, we would take the final six weeks of the year and devote it completely to the Civil War. 
We would always watch the movie Gettysburg. Great movie if you haven't seen it. I have it on VHS at home. If you'd like to borrow it, if you have a VHS unit at home. But it is a great movie. And there's a point in the movie, and I don't know if this is how it really happened, where the commanding general of the troops that were there at Gettysburg, he wasn't there when, when the lines were drawn, the battle lines set up. He comes in later. And, and in the movie, he walks into this house that they have commandeered to be a command post. He walks in, and he says to all of his, his generals that's, and officers that serve along with him, he looks at them and he says, Tell me, gentlemen, that this is good ground. And they look at him. And, and why, why does he say that? Tell me this is good ground. He's, he's, wanting to, he's wanting to know, does this ground give us the advantage by which we can fight and win this victory? And those men look at him and they say, General, this is very good ground. That's why I say we should contend with groundedness. Because we as Christians fight, we contend for the faith from very good ground. From the good ground of our apostolic faith. From the good ground of our authoritative faith which God made so that it's self-preserving. And Christ is wise and sovereign. And He has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. We sing this song, uh, Have Faith in God. And the final part of the chorus says, He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Contend with, from the good ground, Timothy, of the command that Paul gave to you in verses 3 through 7. That he would go and not and instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, which were causing them to have speculation rather than furthering the kingdom of God. Timothy, you're to fight from the good ground of the prophecies previously made concerning you. He says that in verse 18, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you. And he even references it in chapter 4, verse 14, where he says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. To Timothy, God gave you a gift. He grounded you with this gift. Timothy's also to fight with the conviction that he is fighting the good fight. Verse 18. About these prophecies, Paul says, They're there that by them you fight the good fight. Be convinced, convinced that you are fighting the good fight. Timothy's to fight, and we are too, from the good ground of the indispensability of faith and a good conscience. In verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience. Paul is saying, as you fight the good fight, you will need these things. You will need faith in God. You will need, excuse me, you will need a good conscience. Contend for the faith from the good ground of the truth. Paul, I think Paul's saying this. That if Christ our Lord strengthen me for what I do, He will strengthen you. Timothy, he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who strengthened me. Timothy, if He strengthened me, He will strengthen you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. When we contend for the faith, and I inserted that in there, God says through Isaiah, Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We're to contend for the faith with groundedness. If I could say it this way. We're to fight the good fight for the right things in the right way. Finally, we're to contend without giving in. Enemies 
our enemies. They are not to be harbored. They are not to be aided and abetted. No quarter, no surrender. Sin is an enemy of the church. In Romans, Paul confronted a wrong view of sin as the enemy. People were wrongly believing that since they were no longer under law but under grace, they were now free to sin so that grace might abound even more. Paul says in the strongest possible terms, may it never be. And just like sin is the enemy of the church, unsound doctrine is an enemy of the church. I think Paul would say, paraphrasing from Romans, are we to continue in unsound doctrine so that grace may abound? I think he would answer, may it never be. Unsound doctrine is not to be harbored in the church. The church is not to aid and abet unsound doctrine. When unsound doctrine enters the church, our attitude should be no quarter, no surrender. Why is that? Because unsound doctrine produces unsound living. Paul says in verse 20, Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Unsound doctrine led to unsound living in terms of blasphemy for these men. Unsound doctrine determine, undermines the church's health as it perhaps begins to bicker over things that aren't worth the time of day. Unsound doctrine hitch, unhitches the church from its God-ordained purposes. Again, going back to verse 4, Paul says that these certain men, they're teaching these strange doctrines and, and when they do, it gives rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith, which is, verse 5, the goal of which is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Those are God's ordained purposes for His church. And when unsound doctrine comes in and gains a foothold, it will unhitch the church from its God-ordained purposes. An unsound doctrine leads people to reject faith and a good conscience. Again, verse 20. I'm going to... Um, 19 and 20. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck. Other translations, instead of saying suffered, they, they say made shipwreck. They caused their own shipwreck in regard to their faith. And among these, among those some who have rejected and suffered, suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith are two men. We don't know a whole lot about them, Hymenaeus and Alexander, but we do know that they were blasphemers. Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Unsound doctrine leads people to reject their faith in a good conscience and they make shipwreck of their own faith. But Paul himself had to make a tough choice in contending for the faith without giving in. It was a tough choice, but it was a clear choice. And it's there in verse 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to to blaspheme. It was a tough choice, but it was a clear choice. Now I tell you this, I don't believe for a moment that Paul enjoyed having to hand Hymenaeus and Alexander over to Satan. I don't think he got an adrenaline rush or an ego boost from it. He wasn't showing off or using his apostolic authority. He's not flaunting a feather in his cap. I think this is what he's doing. Paul, I think, recognizes that Timothy himself may have to follow Paul's example of how to contend for the faith without giving in. Paul's reminding Timothy, I know what it's like. 
Paul didn't condemn Hymenaeus and Alexander to hell for their blasphemy. Paul can't do that. But in removing them from the church, Paul does two things. First, he preserves the purity of the church. And secondly, and this is equally as important, he shows these men what Christ will do with hardened, unrepentant sinners. He separates them from his people. If... Being put out of the church, these men will repent of their sin, reconcile with the church, and walk faithfully with the Lord. They will prove that their professions are indeed true. However, if being put out of the church changes nothing, if their hearts remain hardened, if there is no repentance, then it demonstrates that these men made false professions. They were never believers. They are separated from Christ's people now and they will continue to be separated from Christ's people for eternity. But Paul in no way wants these men to be condemned. I don't believe he wants them to be in hell. He wants their repentance. And the way he proves that is by actually putting them out of the church. Understand this. Doing nothing would have compromised the church. And it would have allowed these men to continue with hardened hearts in unrepentant sin. So Paul himself is an example of fighting the good fight, doing the right thing in the right way. Paul knows what it means to contend for the faith without giving in. And I believe here he's encouraging Timothy to do the same. Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus are commonly referred to as pastoral epistles, meaning that they address issues in pastoral ministry. But knowing this, we might ask the question, does the person from the pew benefit from these letters? And after all, I don't know how many of you go to Christian bookstores or read Christian books, but I dare say that probably none of you have read books on pastoral ministry and leadership. I think we should be quick to make the connection between pastoral ministry and leadership and the church's health and effectiveness. Pastoral ministry and leadership is designed by Christ as head of the church to promote the health of the church so that it may be an effective weapon in the hand of our Savior. And when we uh, allow unsound doctrine in the church, it dulls the blade. Unsound doctrine applied may never even desire to pull the blade out of the scabbard. Christ has no other plan to reach the world than the church. And I want to tell you that contending well for the faith is not the ultimate goal. It is indispensable, but it is not the ultimate goal. And I'll say it this way. A brand new car sitting on a showroom floor isn't the goal of a car manufacturer. We should contend for the faith with all of our hearts here, but that's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that we would contend well for the faith for the greater goal of the work of the gospel. When unsound doctrine comes into the church and does its work, and divides and gets our eyes off of Christ Jesus, then the church loses its effectiveness. I want you to imagine if someone came in here today and their heart was utterly broken and they were searching for answers and all they heard today was, let me tell you what's wrong with America. Now I'm not saying that, we, we, that that's not fair game, but that's not our goal here. Or maybe another Sunday they come in and and let's talk about um, other religions. Not that we shouldn't, shouldn't do that from time to time. Paul would want us to make sure, and I, I believe Christ Jesus would want us to do the same. To preserve the doctrine of the church so that when we minister to sinful people, we have something to say. We didn't make it up. It's been given to us. Paul says, 
His own testimony. Let me tell you who I was. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. That's who I was. But I didn't clean myself up. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, a sworn enemy of His. He made me new. He put me into His service. I love Him. I am willing to lay down my own life for Him. Imagine a person coming to our church and not hearing the gospel. I believe Paul is is wanting Timothy so badly to go and to serve this church in Ephesus well so that they will be true to their calling. So we can see from that, this book is eminently pertinent to us. So let's contend for the faith. And let's contend well for the faith with gospel, with grace and gospel hope, with groundedness, and without giving in. There is too much at stake. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you for your word. And when it does its work and it has its full effect, Things are done your way and for you. We want to be that kind of church. Lord, in praying this, I don't want people to hear, oh, we're not that kind of church. I don't want them to hear that at all. I just, Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves, and we want to be faithful, so help us to be faithful. Lord, above all, when, when people, hurting people, lost people come into this church, may they never find that we're off doing something else than, than what you have given us to do. Father, help us to contend for the faith, contend for it well, that we might show your glory here and then also to those who need Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would please stand. We're going to sing How Great Is Our God. If you should need at this time to make any sort of decision Um, come down front I'd be happy to talk with you, pray with you about anything you need let's sing together
say what you're feeling. Woo! <laughs> Amen. Be seated for a moment. Um, it's real quick. A few things. Um, first of all, I failed to mention this during the announcements. I'll, I'll be brief. I know you all are ready to go. Miss um, uh, Nell Foreman, to all my friends that have prayed, so prayed for me during the long cancer surgeries, and of course many people from other churches and in different states, because of all the many people praying for me from near and far, a full body PET scan came back, no more cancer. Many doctors treat cancer, and the Lord Jesus Christ heals the body because so many Christians and friends are earnestly praying for them. I'm an example of that. Prayer took the cancer away that the doctor said was there over and over. I so thank all of you for the many beautiful cards, phone calls, and many, many healing prayers with all my love in the Lord. Miss, Miss Nell Foreman. Amen. A few updates from the prayer list. Ben Campbell is in the hospital, or at least last I heard. Sue, still there? Uh, so, so, okay, so more tests tomorrow. Okay. And also, uh, Angela Allred had surgery on the 12th, and uh, they were hoping to be able to go in and remove some tumors from her brain, and it was unsuccessful. So please, please pray uh, for this family. Uh, Coach Todd Lang passed away, and they had his funeral on, on Friday, I believe. So continue to pray for, for the school and uh, for the kids that, that loved him. Uh, pray for his family. Um, any other updates you'd like to pass along or prayer requests you might have? Sue. Oh, that's right. Yes. Right, yes. So Pam and Mike Garcia's uh, grandkids, Mikey and, and uh, Gemma, they have E. coli. So pray, pray for them. And I got a, a selfish one. Joey and I are going to the doctor this morning. Uh, this morning. <laughs> tomorrow morning. Time travel, huh? Going backwards. <laughs> going tomorrow morning uh, to see the surgeon uh, at his last um, appointment. They showed that the break wasn't totally filled in. Um, and so... Uh, Shouldn't be an issue, but if it's not filled in, they may have to do a little minor surgery and pull that bottom pin on that uh, where he broke his femur. But we're anticipating a good report tomorrow, so would ask you to pray for that. We don't want to go through another surgery, right? Amen. All right. Any other updates, prayer requests you might have? All right, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll be reminded of our great commission. Let's pray. Father, we do lift up uh, Angela Allred and her family. God, we do pray for all those that are suffering from cancer, uh, that you would reach down and touch their bodies and that you would remove it from them. We praise you, God, uh, that you did that for now. You show, uh, once again, that you are the mighty God. Father, we also know that there are times when instead of removing the cancer, you leave it. Um, we see with Angela, that seems to be the case. With Nell, you removed it. We, we don't know the when or the why. We just trust that above all things, you're good, you know what you're doing, and we will trust. We also pray for Ben, and we also pray for uh, Pam Garcia's uh, little grandkids, and pray for those that are facing illness, uh, still uh, mourning the loss of a family member like the Todd Lang family, the Bowden family. Pray that you would be to those families what they need in this time. Father, send us out with a sense of urgency into this world that's lost and dying. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.